Good morning. Good morning. Um, this is a bit of a controversial one because some people like doing it early, some people like waiting till June, but Happy New Year. You know, I'm still a di double digits kind of guy. I don't mind 12th of January. Happy New Year. I'm happy to go with it. It's great to be together again this morning. Um, I loved hanging out last week as Grace Communities. I know in the West End we had a lovely brunch and I went for a nice walk. Um, so it was great to be together. But this morning, isn't it just great to be back together um, as God's people this morning? Um, and it's truly a privilege for me to be able to share with you what God has been laying on my heart this week. Um, so, this morning we are going to be kicking off a three-part series in the book of Jonah, um, looking at the theme of the unstoppable love of God. The story of Jonah is perhaps a really familiar one to you. Um, for me, um, when I hear about Jonah, I think about two things. I think of this massive big fish, but actually when I was a little kid, I used to think how disgusting it must have been to be vomited out of a fish. Well, maybe not the right application. Um, however, today we're going to be looking at much more than that. So Jonah, um, thankfully, isn't just about the fish. Um, today we're going to be looking at how Jonah is a biography that tells a story of a God who is merciful, gracious, and relentless in his pursuit of his people. The story truly demonstrates that God's love is unstoppable. So this morning as we look at chapters 1 and 2, we're going to see two things. The first thing that we're going to see is that we are just like Jonah. And the second thing that we're going to see is that Jesus, thankfully, is the much greater Jonah. So before we start, let's just pray um, and, and lift up our time to the Lord together. And let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that every time we come to your word, we know that you are speaking to us because these are your words. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your love that allows us to, to run into your courts this morning. We can enter into your presence and we can worship you because you are the King of Kings. So this morning, as we come, as we read and you study your word together, Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts. Father, would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us ears to hear? Father, change us this morning. Teach us more of who you are Teach us how you are pursuing us, how you're calling us to live a life on mission set apart for you. So come, Lord Jesus, and change this time for your glory and for our good. Amen. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles with you, um, turn to Jonah chapter 1. If you don't, the words will be on the screen. There are also, I think, is some church Bibles lying about somewhere, so if you're wanting to grab one, go for it. Um, I'll give you a minute to find Jonah, because if you're anything like me, it's a bit of a struggle. It's kind of, you know, hidden away in the Old Testament somewhere. So, um, so let's go for it. So, Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the ship to lighten the ship. Sorry, threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice, notice of us so that we will not perish. 
Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, they asked him tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what shall we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault, I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Amen. So Jonah was one of God's prophets who, up to this point, had been called to declare the revelation God gave him to Israel. But we see in verse 2, God then calls Jonah to preach to a huge other nation, Assyria. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, to go to Nineveh, which is the capital of Syria. This was like the biggest city. It's the capital city of Assyria. And why was he sending there, there verse 2? Because its wickedness had come up against God. God was making His call incredibly clear to Jonah, and the call was a really, really big deal. God's chosen nation was both physically and politically divided. There was ten tribes in the north of the kingdom, Israel, and there was two in the southern kingdom, Judah. But under the immense political and cultural and military pressures of Assyria, both kingdoms came under pressure and started to compromise in their, in their devotion to God. For anyone, um, it was easy to see that Israel, that Assyria were the enemies of God's people, and this is exactly where God called them. God called Jonah to go and to love his enemies and to extend the boundaries of Yahweh's rule from this little territory of Israel to this exceedingly great city of Nineveh. It's a bit like going from the smallest little village in Glasgow down to London and saying, this is now your patch. It is a big, daunting thing to have to do. So let me tell you a little story. A few months, I was a few months ago, I was chatting to Ian, who said, you know, when the baby comes, I'm going to have to take a bit of time off. There's going to be three Sundays I'm missing, um, and I'm going to have to fill those preaching slots. And I was like, oh, great, brilliant. I wonder who he's going to get. So many gifted preachers in this church. And I was like, not worried. This is not going to be asked. So I was absolutely thrilled. However, the day came. Just picture this. It was 10 past six on a Friday morning. I was sitting on a really, really cold, wet day with Ian on a plane about to head down to Southampton to meet some other guys who were part of the church. I was only one coffee into the day when Ian caught me off guard by saying, Johnny, 
how do you fancy kicking off the 2020 preaching series? And I was like, oh, um, okay. So I didn't answer. And what I did is I looked around the plane and quickly to Ian's absolute genius thinking, he's obviously done this before, he had sat on the aisle seat of the plane. There was literally no way out. Other than climbing over him, which I did try, but he was pinning me down, there was no way out. The other thing I realized was at that point, the emergency exits were completely shut. So there was no way out. We were about to take off. I would have had to jump out a plane. But that is exactly how I felt. I wanted to run away. I just wanted to get out of there. He'd asked me this thing, and I was like, oh, man, I do not want to do that. I am going to run. And maybe you sometimes feel like that. Perhaps God has told you to do something. He's told you to go somewhere. And you've just always found an excuse never to do it. Perhaps God has said really clearly to you, you need to devote more time in prayer. You need to devote more time in Bible reading. But there's always an excuse. Or maybe you've never stopped running. Maybe you've never even stopped running your own way that you even know that there's a God out there. Maybe you've just always been going this way and you're like, oh, hang on, there's way more behind me. And that is exactly what we see in verse 3. Jonah has been told to go, but in verse 3, this is the start of his downfall, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He literally ran away. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord to flee from the Lord. The ESV actually puts it to flee from the presence of God. To flee from the presence of God. Can you see what he has done? God has said, go here. And he says, no, I am going to blatantly run the opposite direction. He is fleeing from God. Now, I'm absolutely no expert at map reading. You can just ask Lynn that for any seconds when we're on holidays. It's normally a disaster. But I have got a wee map this morning, which Daniel's just going to pop up for us. So, as you'll see, Jonah, rather than going east to Nineveh, which is only 500 miles, I'm not going to sing the Proclaimer song, but it could have been a walk 500 miles. Instead of going there, he literally paid a fare. It was a really, really honest moment that he said, I am not doing this. I'm going to pay a fare and go the opposite direction. And rather than going east, he turns his back 180 degrees, and he literally runs the opposite direction. Why does he do that? Because he wants to be away from the Lord. Can you see that? He wants to be away from God. He wants to flee from His presence. It is heartbreaking to read it. Jonah was living in the presence of God. He knew what it was like. There was life in the presence of God. The Lord had called him. He blessed him. Jonah knew exactly what God was telling him to do, to, to do. Jonah was a prophet. His job was simply to hear the word of the Lord and to go and tell it to the people that he's put about him. But Jonah, as we've seen, he turns his back on the Lord. He chooses to flee from the presence of God. Now, we're all sitting here thinking, Jonah, what on earth are you doing? How can you possibly hear from God so clearly, yet so blatantly just run the opposite direction? What an idiot! What are you doing? For us, it's so easy to see what Jonah should have done. God has said, go there, so just go. Just do it. But no, Jonah turns his back. Think of Ferguson a really well-known Scottish preacher is now preaching out in the States, and his book, A Man Overboard, says of this moment, God's will and Jonah's came on a collision course. 
Jonah had his own desires, plans, and ambitions to fulfill, but Jonah had his own concept of how things should be and how he could best serve God. The flesh made war on the spirit, and it seems that the flesh was victorious. God had told him to go, and he chose to go his own way because he thought he knew better. A few months ago, we were out for a walk with some friends um, in a really, really nice country park in Perth, and we came across this outside maze. Now, typically competitive, we decided to turn this nice afternoon walk into a highly intense competitive game. We decided to do one versus one. The first person out of the maze wins. It was pretty much our friendship on stakes. So being super gracious and at the risk of not wanting to lose any friends at all, I decided to be the referee. So what I did as part of the referee is I got to stand on this walkway that overlooked the maze. Um, and I came up with this a genius idea, if I say so myself, was that each player could have 30 seconds standing on the viewpoint, and they could actually see exactly which way they had to go. From the viewpoint, you could see the start point, you could see the end point. It was so obviously clear where they had to go. So I stood on the top, and I went, three, two, one, expecting it to be finished in about 10 seconds. And after turn three, people are going the wrong way, completely and utterly the wrong way. It was hilarious. So all that you had to do was, you know, a little left, a little right, a diagonal left, diagonal right, and people were going the wrong way, and I'm just sitting there going, what are these guys doing? You know, these competitors, they knew where they had to go. They had seen it. They had been on the top of the bridge. They knew exactly where they had to go. But they continually kept turning the wrong way. The finish line was over here, and rather than just going there, they were getting lost. They were like, oh, man, where are we going? I'm going to go this way. And it was just like, what are you doing? And isn't that just like Jonah? This is exactly what we see in Jonah. And let's be honest with ourselves, it's exactly what we see in ourselves. This is what we do all the time. So often we know what God is calling us to do. We know where God's calling us to be, yet we turn our backs on God. We walk down the path of disobedience. It's so clear. We read the Bible. The Bible says to do something. We think, oh man, that's going to sacrifice my time or my effort. I am not doing that. I am going the opposite way. We are disobedient. And what does disobedient do? Disobedience kills our intimacy with God. It kills our intimacy with God. We literally run away from, our, from His presence, and it makes our hearts cold. So this morning, what is it that God has called you to do? Where is it that God has asked you to go? I'd urge you this morning, in fact, I would plead you this morning, don't be like Jonah. Don't hear the word of the Lord. Don't hear what God is asking you to do and run the opposite direction, but instead hear from God and run into His, into His, into His presence and embrace what God has called you to do. So the story continues. Um, a familiar story, Jonah ran away and he went down in verse 3. He went down to the port of Joppa where he got on board a ship. Can you imagine this? A prophet of God a privileged position, who'd, who'd heard the word of the Lord, yet so desperately he was scrambling to run away from the Lord. Can you just imagine this guy? Picture it. He's just running around like mad, gathering as much money as possible because he just wants out of there. He's heard what God said. He's thought, oh, I cannot do that. I just need to get out of there. He's running around. He is desperate to get away. This was his choice. Jonah was choosing to be disobedient, but as we know, the consequences were disastrous. He gets on the ship, 
he goes down to the ship, a violent storm arose, and in order to calm the seas, Jonah is then thrown overboard. He goes down into the belly of the fish, and in chapter 2, which we're going to come to in a minute, he is driven from the sight of the Lord. It's absolutely tragic. He is driven from the sight of the Lord. Jonah, time after time, went down, away from the presence of God, but his running and his disobedience had consequences. He was where he wanted to be. He had chosen to run away and flee to Tarshish. Jonah thought he had got his own way. Jonah thought he knew the best thing for him. He thought his ways were better than God's, and he thought, I'm going to do my own thing. How much is that like us? How much is that like you? Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's be honest with each other. How much is that like us? How often do we feel convicted by God, but we make excuses? How often do you go to read your Bible or pray or spend some time in God's presence, and you get distracted by the latest episode of rubbish that's on Netflix? I know for me, I do that all the time. How often do we feel convicted to share our faith with our friends or our, or our uni pals or our work colleagues, whatever it may be, and we get grasped by fear because we forget that the presence of God is with us. Just like Jonah, we think we know the best way for ourselves. We think we know what is best for us, but as we read this account of Jonah, it is so easy to see what he should have done, but just like Jonah, we find excuses, we find other things, we allow the flesh to be victorious over our lives as well. So this morning, as we come and look at Jonah, we need to get out of this mindset of, Jonah, you're an idiot, and we need to see ourselves in Jonah. We need to be real with ourselves. We know that where the presence of God is, there is life. There is life. Yet so often, like Jonah, we run away in disobedience. Perhaps you've never known the life-giving presence of God and you've only ever run your own way. Chapter 1 of this book teaches us that we are just like Jonah. Our hearts are prone to wander. They're prone to run away. And we so often say no to God's ways and yes to our own ways. But here comes the turning point, and there is a beautiful ending to the story. Despite Jonah's disobedience and his running, Jonah begins to realize that his ways are not greater than God's. He begins to see that there is no escape from the presence of God. He can run as far as he wants, the opposite direction, but he's soon to realize that God doesn't leave him. There is no escaping his presence. On the ship, as the sea grew rougher and rougher, Jonah declares to the sailors in verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea and I'll become calm. I know, I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Do you hear that? Jonah's saying it's his fault. He's starting to see, hang on, maybe I've done the wrong thing here. So at that, they throw Jonah into the sea, and instantly the sea becomes calm. Jonah knew in his disobedience had led to the storm. He was thrown overboard and was then swallowed by this huge fish. And it's in the fish that Jonah cries out to the Lord, God doesn't let go of Jonah. He never has. And as we'll see as we read on, God's unstoppable love for Jonah calls him back to himself. So let's go into Jonah um, chapter 2 and see where we go with the story. 
So Jonah chapter 2, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled, swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again towards your holy people. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank. To the, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you... Lord my God, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. So, what is the first thing that Jonah does in his distress? We see it in chapter 2, verse 1. He cries out to the Lord. He lifts his voice in prayer. He lifts his voice in prayer. And this isn't just in Jonah we see this. We often see it in the Bible. In Acts 9, Ananias was encouraged by the Lord to go to the blinded Pharisee's aid to welcome him into the body of Christ. But his response was, no, not Lord. I'm not doing that. Not Saul the persecutor. I cannot have Saul coming into this. I've heard of the harm he's already done and the greater harm he intends to do to your people. How do I know that a work of grace has really been done in his life? And this is brilliant. The Lord answers, and it was really brief answer, and he says, behold, he is praying. He is praying the first sign of returning to the presence of God and to repenting is prayer. And this is exactly what we see Jonah doing. Like a child returning to their father after they've stepped out of line, Jonah returns to God by crying out to Him. He cries out to the Lord. He recognizes that his running away from God's presence has brought this, brought this downfall, and he is turning around, and he is running back into the presence of God. He knows that there is life where the presence of God is, and he's seen what his disobedience has done, and he's thinking, right, I need to get back into there. So he starts off by crying out to the Lord. Jonah realizes that through God's sovereignty, he uses this dramatic means of calling him back to the Lord, and now he realizes the importance of living in the presence of God. It seems such a strange way to show him, but God can use any instrument to show us of our need for God, and here is a fish. So, are you wandering away from God this morning? Are you here, but you're not really here? Are you here, but you're kind of resenting being here, because actually you'd rather be running away 